Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mike Rosart Show. We're here again another Wednesday and I welcome you all back onto the Mike Rosart Show. Today we're talking about a bunch of stuff, but first I'm gonna start with a real estate market update here in Southwestern Ontario in Canada specifically where I'm sort of an expert and I have more key market fundamental data than I do in other markets. So I'm just gonna go ahead and say this, but a lot of what I'm gonna say is gonna be applicable in any market, wherever you are, if you're in the United States, if you're in you know, the UK, if you're my subscribers in Australia, a lot of the things I'm gonna to say today on this live stream are gonna be applicable. And the first thing is there are four key indicators, and my dog's gonna join us today, so he's gonna he's give us the, actually the market uh, update as he looks for squirrels out the window. But uh, there are four key indicators that I look for, or four key um, factors that I'm looking at when I'm trying to determine whether or not a real estate market is going to do well or not do well. And then I'm gonna dig into some of the data because as a realtor, I can look on, and even you can look on Google and find out what the sales day is looking like. Because we have March sales now, we have April sales now, uh, we have the actual data, we can see what things are selling for on average, what the sales volume looks like. We'll talk about some of the misinformation we're seeing the big media blow up with about real estate. We're seeing, we'll see some of the other stuff too. But the first thing I wanna talk about is the four four key indicators. And if you're watching the replay, smash the like button. If you're watching it live, smash the like button. And if you're just joining me now in the comments, drop a comment and say hello. Hey everyone, I see your comments popping up. I appreciate them more than you guys know. Um, okay, so the first thing I wanna talk about is the four key factors and then we'll dive into um, specifics around each of those things. So the four things I look for when I'm trying to evaluate the real estate market in general and by the way, my outlook has changed entirely. I've done a 180 from where it was in even December. And a lot of things are at play here to change that. Hey, everyone. So first thing is demographics. Really, really important when you're trying to understand real estate prices and where they're going to go and your investment in real estate, you have to understand demographics. Demographics talks about things like change in population, the age of the population, the average income of people in that population. Um, it talks about things like immigration is a big one. Um, right now, immigration's on hold. So we'll get into the detail about how that negatively affects real estate in a big way. And we'll talk about some of the demographic shifts like baby boomers aging and how that negatively affects uh, certain things. And the second one, so we have demographics, we have the economy at large. So the economy in general, talking about um, GNP, GDP, uh, just overall gross domestic product. What is the economy producing in terms of uh, wealth creation and value add? The third thing is interest rate. Uh, interest rate is a very key, it's the third indicator, but I actually prioritize it as uh, number one. I think it's the most important indicator of investing in real estate because if interest rates get too high and your interest rate cost of debt and your cost of debt rises above your return on asset on your properties, what it can produce from cash flow, what it can produce in general from either forced depreciation or regular natural appreciation that's organic or out of our control. Um, you guys know I'm not a speculative investor. I like to invest in things that I can control and things I can control specifically around value add to the property or in through cash flow where I'm in control of the tenants. We're gonna talk about vacancy rates. It's a big one here. A lot of people talk about rents not falling, but vacancy rates are skyrocketing right now. We're gonna talk about that in a bit too. Um, it's harder to rent a unit than it's ever been. I've got ads up right now and I used to get hundreds of applications. Now we're getting much less. The tenant quality is much lower right now. We have to deal with a lot of things happening in this economy right now. It's not good to be a real estate investor right now unless you've planned for those contingencies, unless you're you know, operating effectively and efficiently through this time. Uh, and the fourth thing is government policy. So to rehash, 
Uh, and by the way, I think the government policy is actually, they've shut down the landlord tenant board. So landlords have in Ontario, no means of recourse at all if a tenant stops paying rent. There's nothing we can do. If a tenant agreed to leave and signed an N11, we can't even file that. If we had an eviction already granted from before that we're gonna go and evict them on a certain date, the sheriff won't even come out. Complete shutdown. It's like, imagine the police are like, hey, do whatever you want, loot in the streets, we're not gonna stop you. That is what the government is signaling through their policy that was already unfair to landlords. They're now signaling that during this time. So anyway, four things, demographics, right? Which is a whole umbrella, there's a whole bunch in there about you know average um, you know, income, talk about unemployment rate. Demographics, that's a big piece we're gonna talk about. Economy, interest rates, and the fourth one is government policy. So the four things that play into my overall real estate market outlook. And then I'm going to also talk about some of the data because I just looked at the April sales here in London, Ontario. We've seen sales are up 0.4% year over year. So sales are up from average sale price, not sales volume. Sales volume is down up to 70%. We're seeing 70% less houses change hands. We're seeing average age of inventory. So how many listings are on the market? That inventory list is growing. For the first time ever, it used to be around a month and a half, month month and a bit of available inventory for people to buy up. Now there's around three months of available inventory. So the inventory is building. That means there are more people listing right now than are buying. That is signaling that prices could fall, right? That's what we're seeing in the actual data. And we're seeing again, 0.4% increase year over year. You might think that's a good thing. Real estate prices in April are up amidst COVID here in London, Ontario. Let's dig into that a little bit further. Let's think into that. That means that in one year, we've seen 0.4% appreciation. That means we've seen a dip, a drop of almost 12 months of appreciation gone. Because you gotta remember, we were in this market, London, Ontario, we were seeing 10, 12% growth year over year. We've been used to things growing, you know, year over year, 10%. So now to see nothing, that's a signal that we've, from our highs in January, we've seen a bit of a correction, a bit of a fall down. Now, a lot of that is because of uncertainty and a lot of that is because investors are sitting on cash. No one wants to make a decision to commit to say a half million dollar asset like real estate when there's uncertainty. We don't know what the government is going to do. Government policy, again, a big piece in investing in real estate. Interest rates, they're the lowest they've ever been. That's actually a boon. I think of the four things we're gonna talk about today, interest rates are like the government is printing, they're, they're telling the banks to print money and they're handing it out left, right and center to invest in businesses and invest in real estate. So that's a pro. For the person that knows how to navigate through these waters and heeds a lot of the advice that I'm gonna give in this live stream tonight, uh, there is opportunity here. It's not like don't invest in real estate at all. Just because the outlook is negative doesn't mean there isn't a ton of opportunity. In fact, it means there's probably more opportunity than ever before. Um, I'm gonna have to let my dog out because he's going crazy going back and forth from all forums chasing these squirrels, but if you guys can live through it, we'll just keep going. I'm gonna do some questions here too and say hello to everyone. Hey Tommy, hey Bill, hey Alan, hey Alex, hey William, hey Trevor. Parappa, how you doing? Rick, how you doing? Uh, Existential, how you doing? Nice spelling. Anthony, how you doing? Ishan, how you doing? Vimal, Anthony, Sam, William. Hey everyone. And if you're on the stream right now and you're one of the 35 people and you haven't clicked the like button, smash that like button right now. It does help the algorithm. And I appreciate it if you share this around. Um, I do this for free. And so it's really nice if folks will share it around with people who will get value from it because I'm doing it for free, my only metric of, or reward, I guess, is how many people watch it. 
So the more people that watch it and smash the like button, the more I feel like I haven't wasted my valuable, valuable time. So that would be uh, that'd be much appreciated. And apologies today, I don't have my lamp that I normally have. We're actually backlit today instead of frontlit. So it's gonna be a little weird. And apologies for this disgusting thing that I've got growing. It's a long story. And anyway, I'm not gonna get into it on the stream right now. But uh, okay, so back to, and I will get to the questions. I see them popping up. If you have specific questions related to real estate investing, now's the time to pop them in. Uh, if you have other questions that are not as related, I'll still try to get to them through the stream today. So let's talk about demographics. And, and please, by the way, I'm not claiming to be an expert, right? I'm arguing that I have some data I wanna share with you guys, but I'm, a, I'm not an expert. I think that we're going into a market correction. I think that the bull market we've seen the last three, four years is coming to a bit of an end. There's gonna be a pullback. At a minimum, I think that sales are going, sales volume is going to have a huge pickup, I think, short term. My prediction, and I don't know what's going to happen, my prediction, what I'm seeing as an agent and seeing you know, in the market and talking to people is that no one's making a decision until things kind of come to an end. So as soon as we see this you know, lockdown, um, slash like, you know, state of emergency shutdown come to an end. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of buyers who are ready to, who are ready to buy and a whole bunch of people ready to list. So we're going to see our delayed spring rush every year. There's a, in the spring here in, in my market, things get crazy. There's a lot of transactions. Most of the big sales happen in this springtime, which is right now, but COVID has delayed that in that you know, realtors were told not to take on listings that were in emergencies, not to go meet, they were told not to meet buyers. They were told not to facilitate the trade of real estate unless it's a necessity. And so that shut things down. So that's sort of the government policy, forcing real estate um, transactions not to trade in hand. It's like when, the, it's like when um, the Fed steps in and shuts down the exchange. Now, that can stop people from being irrational, which could cool the market, right? Like someone who is just gung ho on buying a ton of real estate, now COVID happens, they're like, geez, maybe I was making some mistakes. Maybe I should second guess my strategy. Maybe I shouldn't be buying out of five or six cap rate. And so I think we'll see a lot of those buyers pull back or ask for more aggressive prices to justify better cash flow. And I think that's one of the implications coming out of this discussion today is like, we need to be very sure of our numbers. We need to be very sure of the deals that we're getting into in these days. We need to be very sure of the cash flow. And we need to be discounting that cash flow and discounting those rents because government policy is against us right now. Um, a lot of tenants or a higher percentage of tenants are unable to pay and will be unable to pay going forward. So tenant screening is super, super important. Um, it's important to remember all these factors as we go and invest. So here's some things we're gonna talk about. Demographics, what is happening? London, Ontario, in my market specifically, we are like 26% of our population goes to Fanshawe College or Western University or some school in the area, um, either part-time or full-time. So 26% of our population is student-based. They've talked about, they've shut down the universities and the colleges completely. All the classes have gone online. Most of the international students are kicked out, went back home, and they won't be back till January 1st next year. Guys, let's think about this. We now have potentially a September where there'll be no students. We're talking about about 100,000 tenants that aren't gonna be in our market. If you have student rentals in London, Ontario, that should be a problem. That should maybe, alarm bells should be going off. Like, hey, this might not be a good year for us. We always assumed that we'd have our units rented out. What happens if you go six months with the vacancy? Can you float, you know, $3,000 a month rent times six months? Can you float $20,000, let's say $18,000, $20,000 in lost rent? 
Or you have a tenant that was paying the rent that was a great tenant that you inherited when you bought the property, but hey, they just lost their job due to COVID. They're currently laid off or their industry is done. The restaurant that they're working at, they were, a they were a bartender, let's say, that restaurant's closed now. Like COVID literally destroyed their business. Not only is there no job to go back to, like the business is shut down. Now that bartender has nowhere to work because there's several other bartenders looking for work too. They can't pay their rent. So you're ready for that bad debt expense. On your spreadsheet, you should have a vacancy expense. You should have a bad debt expense. Now is the time to crank those numbers up when you're buying property. And if you have property right now, did you run through the analysis? I have a spreadsheet that I give away um, that, that basically you can run these numbers, but you can do them yourself quite easily. And if doesn't, if your new pro, if your properties you hold now currently in your portfolio do not pass this test, sell. We are going to have a dead cat bounce where I think as soon as the market opens up, there's going to be a lot of people jumping into the market and buying. There'll be a chance to sell off your real estate inventory. There'll be liquidity. So this is your chance to get liquidity. This is your chance to get out. I think this fall we're going to see quite a bit of a dip. I do feel like three to five years from now we're going to be fine. Prices are going to be much higher than they are now. Long term, I'm bullish. I still think from a demographic perspective, we're looking at a lot of trends pro Canada long term, pro the real estate market long term. And Canada being a good place to live where people want to live is overall bullish for real estate investing. So let's remember that. Let's be cognizant of the fact that we live in one of the top five, well, those of us who are Canadian, live in one of the top five best countries in the world, uh, at least on the top 10 on most lists. So that means that our land has value and there's intrinsic value. So those people jumping on saying, everything's gonna go to 70 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar, that's probably not gonna happen. When I talk about a real estate correction, I'm talking about like a five, 10% pullback maximum. $500,000 properties might be 450,000. Something to that effect, right? If you're getting appraisals right now, by the way, talking about refinances and just jumping over to that area, it is really hard to get a good appraisal right now. Most of the appraisers are like, Tight. They're like, I'm going as conservative as I can on the range of value for your property. I'm staying on the low side to protect my downside. A lot of appraisers right now are doing photo and video only. There's no in-person showings. That could be an opportunity if your property is terrible. It could be a disservice if your property is really nice because then they can't physically see how nice that property is. A picture can't always articulate how great that property is. Um, so that's something to think about as well when you're trying to refinance right now. I would recommend pulling out capital if you can, but because interest rates are so low and uncertainty is so high, which makes no sense, it's because the government's forcing interest rates down and they're printing money. But usually in times of uncertainty, right, what do we see? We see the cost of funds, well, the government forces them down, but typically you expect a higher return. So the bank's lending out their money at a lower rate and it's the most risky time for them to be lending money out because we don't know what's gonna happen in the real estate market. We don't know what's gonna happen if they're lending money out to businesses. So banks have to add premiums um, and they have, or if they can't add premiums because they're mandated by law to follow certain uh, prime rates and certain discounts upon prime, they have to be very selective with who they lend to. So you might see their metrics for lending might be a little bit more difficult or the hurdles to get money is gonna be a little bit harder right now. They're not handing, like the money's cheap, go get it. Um, but getting it's a little bit harder than it was before. So now you have to be good at putting together a narrative to a lender to borrow for a business or borrow for your real estate. That's why watching my channel and discovering all this is important now more than ever. It was before money was a little bit more expensive. You'd pay three, three and a half percent for a mortgage, no problem. It was easy to get. They were handing money out. Everyone was looking at all the reports from all the major banks where all real estate's doing great. Um, you know, it's gonna be going great for the next five years. 2020 is gonna be the hottest years ever. And then COVID happens, right? And everything's flipped and everything's changed and we're in a new paradigm. So anyway, um, if you're gonna refinance, you should probably do it now. Uh, there's gonna be a window where if you wanna sell, it's gonna be a good time to sell. So I think that the next 
as things come back online, once we're ramped up into full, if you had your property ready to go on the market, you're getting it ready right now, throwing it on the market would be a good time before we get into the fall when things, you know, um, seasonally they slow down in the fall. That's just the real estate business. It gets cold, you know, near Christmas. People don't want to go out and, and shop for real estate. So that's typically when it's a slowdown. Typically the hottest time is the spring, right? But our spring start is delayed because of COVID. So I think this summer is going to be like the spring, but then it's going to catch up with us. There's going to be a whole bunch of demand. It's going to exhaust itself. And then there's going to be like the demands caught up with the supply for the first time in like three, four years in my market. And then what? That's what I'm worried is the then what? Um, people are going to start realizing, uh oh, a lot of Western and Fanshawe students are doing online studies from Toronto and Vancouver and they're not moving here. So now I have a vacant property, which is worth, you know, a lot less vacant than it was rented out or uh oh, and then follow that chain of command through, right? If we don't need as much inventory now in London, those houses have to be repurposed as, you know, maybe converted into duplexes and rented to families or whatever, right? But then there's no immigration right now. So the 8,000 Syrian refugees we got last year, they get free money. When a Syrian refugee or forget Syria, any refugee comes in, I'm using Syria because we took a lot of them in in Canada and specifically London took a lot of refugees in over the last couple of years. But when we bring immigrants into Canada, we hand them thousands of dollars every month. If they have kids, we hand them five, $6,000 tax-free. Like here's money to help you acclimatize basically. If you have kids, you're entitled to the benefits. Um, and they're getting all this free money and they spend it on the economy. They spend it on rent, et cetera, and so forth. And it boosts the real estate economy. So when immigration's at like a, a standstill, um, there's no new people to take all the units over. So we're gonna have an issue where there's gonna be an oversupply of available rentals, or at least there won't be the lack of supply or shortage of supply that existed, you know, three, three, four months ago, because there's gonna be just more inventory. So I'm seeing that personally, my own properties that I have posted, I'm seeing that in tenant quality too. A lot of the really good tenants are like, I don't wanna move right now during COVID. So there's a lot of, um, and there are good tenants out there still if you know how to screen. So I'm not saying it's impossible to find good tenants. It's just harder um, right now. And credit scores will be lower because people are gonna fall behind on their debts when they lose their job as a result of the recession. So the tenant quality just tends to drop in general. If your metric was like, say a 750 credit score, now it might be harder to find a tenant that meets those metrics or that has income that's, you know, can service three times the rent. That metric might be hard to find when they're collecting CERB. When there's a large percentage of our population that's unemployed right now. If you look at the data of people collecting the uh, stimulus related to the, the COVID-19 um, pandemic, it's startling how many people are collecting right now. It's startling that we haven't seen these types of We've seen this unemployment before. Like we've seen it in the 80s. We saw it in the Great Depression too. Like we've seen that. We just haven't seen this fast of a change all at once. And I'm hoping the recovery, when we open things back up, we see just as big of a recovery. I know there's gonna be some loss there. Let's say unemployment was 6%, you know, it goes up to 15 and then back down to like eight. That's, I'm just making up numbers here. I don't have the exact data in front of me, but just as, that's what I'm hypothesizing and hoping for. Uh, but it's something to think about. I think as we're investing in real estate and investing in the economy in general, what are the demographic trends? And baby boomers, by the way, are most susceptible to these illnesses. And there might be more viruses coming. We don't know. We have to prepare for that possible reality, that biowarfare, or that they're creating these viruses like COVID-19 in laboratories. That's how COVID-19 was modified in a lab. It didn't you know, originate that way or mutate that way naturally. It was created um, to be the way that it is today. And that's a fact. We know that. Uh, it wasn't meant to be like, I don't think it was a biowarfare attack or anything. Not to say that it isn't possible, but um, something to think about as we're investing going forward, what are the demographic pieces involved in that? And the older generation is most susceptible and they have most of the money, right? So let's remember the baby boomer generation has most of the wealth. And so what happens as they age or now as their retirement portfolios take a 25% dip, they might sell some of their real estate portfolio off. 
and maybe at a discount. I don't know. So things we got to think through is a lot. I could spend hours and hours, you know, road mapping this and thinking through it. And that's why you guys are here too. Let's think through this together. What is going to happen? I'm just thinking out loud through this, you know, uh, transition, I guess, into a different economic time. So economy in the shitter. Uh, temporarily, hopefully. We're going to see a few quarters of the worst growth we've seen. The problem is that people, um, <laughs> the thing is that people, you know, they value, they price in growth. Most investors price in future growth. It just happens. And when you've priced in growth and then the growth doesn't happen, now we're like two years behind in the growth tra trajectory we would have been if we stayed in a roaring economy that we were having before. Um, that spells price cut. That spells price drop in real estate in the stock market. When growth goals that we set, we don't reach, um, you know, there's decline. So without even a market declining, even if we were just to be like 2020 was like a net neutral year in that like we recovered in the fall and got back to where we were before, we would still be at a loss of a year's growth. So that has, you know, ramifications too, even if we recovered to where we were before. And I don't think it's likely we're going to recover and be better than we were before. That's very unlikely. I think a best case scenario is we recover back to where we were before, which means we've guaranteed lost a year of growth, which means the stock market should take a hit. The real estate market should take a hit because we're pricing in growth already. We've lost that now. It's like if you lose a year's rent, you, you're now in a way worse position than you were before. You'd be like, oh, I'm getting the same rent as I was before. Cool. But like you lost a year of rent. Um, so demographic shifts, economic shifts, interest rate, um, talking about like, you know, monetary policy and things like that. Interest rates are low. The government wants us to spend money. If we have money, they want us to deploy it. They don't want it to sit in savings accounts. They don't want us to be sitting in, and basically they don't want it to sit in cash. They're, the, the thing is, during this time, when you hand out stimulus too, another point I would just want to make as a, as a side, um, when you hand out stimulus to everyone, you hand out billions of dollars or trillions, you know, globally. If you hand every single person $10, $10 has no value because you just gave everyone $10. It, it means nothing. So when you hand out and you print money, the value of that currency goes down. The value it has is less because money is all relative to how much other people have. If everyone has a million dollars, a million dollars is nothing. Like that would be like the cost of bread because everyone's got it. People would be stupid with it and it, the price of things would just go up. What doesn't go up is, or I guess what beats through the fiat currency are real, um, tangible stores of value. Like you might argue land, uh, real estate. Like you might argue, you know, cash flowing businesses, you might argue is, is, is something that would hold its value. I, I would argue probably land and gold are better stores of value. Some people argue some of the crypto stuff um, is a good store of value, but land tends to do well during, during this time. Um, I, I think that overall we'll see maybe, maybe the price of real estate will go up, but the value won't necessarily have gone up. The buying power will not, like we might see a little bit of hyperinflation. If you look at some of the shadow economics, they might adjust the consumer price index set of goods so that it looks like we haven't gotten into hyperinflation. But I think it's likely that they're handing all this money out and that the cost of things are going to rise. We're going to see the cost of groceries rise 10, 20% as a result of this, at least in the short term, probably in the, you know, in the long term, it's very unlikely that they'll drop the price after for milk. Once people are used to paying say $5 for, for, you know, a gallon of milk. Um, we here in Canada, we drink milk in bags in one liter bags. It's just a thing. We, we put it in the milk, milk jug and then you cut the bag and pour milk. If you're Canadian, you know, if you're American, you're like, what? You drink milk out of bags. Um, that's a random aside. But anyway, um, I lost my, my train of thought, but government policy is the last piece. And I think I touched on that already a couple times. The idea is that when it relates to the economy and, you know, real estate in general, 
government policy is important, right? And some government policies are good for real estate, like the Bank of Canada dropping um, interest rates. Some government policies, or even not government policy, but government influence is negative for real estate. And one of those was when our premier here in Ontario said, you know, uh, make sure you pay for food, but don't worry about your rent. Uh, that was a bad signal to send out to, um, that was a very bad signal to send out to the tenants. I think that we definitely should have not sent that signal out because a lot of tenants are getting behind this rent strike movement. Um, they're using it as a reason not to pay rent, even if they can afford to, even if they have a stimulus check to pay for the rent. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Just checking. Well, you drink milk out of a bag? Yeah. Like, should I go and get some, like, get the milk pitcher out of my fridge to show you guys, like, the bag that goes inside of it? In, in Canada, we don't drink it out of a jug. Um, we drink it out of a bag. Okay, so I'll get some live Q&A, and I'll go back to this in a second. But to summarize, I think that short-term, we might see a blip where there's a chance to sell as we get the spring rush here, but then we're going to see a bit of a, a, a fall-off. In some sectors of, and by the way, real estate's a very broad sector, right? Like, I think residential real estate long-term will be fine. Commercial real estate, I'm not as bullish on. Um, specifically within commercial real estate, short-term rentals. So if you do Airbnb, if you do... Um, like you're a hotel or something like that, you're drastically affected by this. And I think that travel is going to be negatively affected for some time because the memory is, is long, at least a couple years long, where people will be afraid to travel, right? There's that fear back in the economy again. There's that fear back in the investors, in the investors mindset. And that has implications long-term. People won't be as bullish when they're making decisions to spend their money, when they're making decisions to invest their money. And that has implications too. Just the fact that the fear is set in, in investors' minds and reminding them that, hey, we can have a recession, that we're not invincible. We can't, we go 12 years with the strongest bull market we've ever had, but things, um, you know, they come back. And um, that's, that's the important thing to remember. Okay, I'm going into the question and answer period here. I see people joking around about milk and there's some good questions in here. So let me, let me hit those up. Okay, first question is, hey Mike, I'm in the area I'm looking to invest and I'm seeing a lot of two bedroom houses available at reasonable price points, but a lack of three bedroom places at a good price point. Anthony, and that's because, and I don't know where specifically you're looking to invest, but typically speaking, there'll be the least amount of inventory where there is the most demand for that said inventory. And two bedroom houses, as a rule of thumb, don't rent near as easily as three bedroom houses. A two bedroom house, you're stuck renting the house to like a couple typically. But if you wanna target a family or you target like a larger group, you need three or more bedrooms. Most people just want like a three bedroom place if they want a full house. Two bedroom apartments do very well, um, but two bedroom houses tend to be a little uh, short on the bedroom categories. That could be why you're seeing a lot of that. Um, that extra bedroom does add value. So there's a way you can, you can convert your basement to add another bedroom, or you can put a little addition on, or you can convert an unused dining room and then repurpose that space somewhere else or take it out of a huge living room and, and make it work. That can add a ton of value to a property. So that could be an opportunity space Right now, I'm just more conservative. That's, if I find a deal for 150 that I thought was worth 250 before, now I'm gonna say it might be worth 210. So now the margins are a little bit smaller and I have to be more, just have to be more careful when I'm investing in those deals. And that's the important piece going through this is don't get over levered. Um, don't get in a position over your head where you can't carry. We don't have a, like the emergency fund set aside. We might have to carry our properties for a few months. So don't go and you know stretch yourself to the point where you can't carry if two months of no rent comes in. That's a reality. That's an economic reality. That's a government policy reality. The landlord tenant board is shut down. They're talking about a year to get people in and talk to them. So it's possible we go a full year before evictions can happen. A tenant could stop paying rent, you know, February or March when the, the 
tribunal shut down. And we might not have an eviction order until January and execute on that order until March the following year. 2021 is going to be when the evictions start happening again. So if you have tenants right now that are screwing you, it sucks. Um, it's unfortunate and it's, I'm feeling it too. We're going to hold on tight. Us landlords will hold on tight. But just remember, if you're getting into this industry now, buying your first couple properties, you may go six months without rent and budget that in. Say I have $20,000 set aside to cover the rents if they're not coming in. Um, that's why I recommend levering with cheap debt now when you can, you can get the money cheaply, take it out. And even if you don't need the money, if you don't need the 60 grand from your property that's sitting there in equity, go borrow again, get it refinanced, pull out 80% loan to value. Now you have that cash there. If a good deal pops up, you have that cash there to float your portfolio. So people say it's dangerous to borrow the money out of your property and take the equity out at two and a half percent. That's not dangerous. That's prudent. That's necessary as a real estate investor. You need to be pulling the cash out of your property so you have it through times of recession. It's doing nothing for you sitting in your property. In fact, you could literally, like you could default in your property because you didn't have enough liquidity to make the mortgage payments. As long as you make the payments, they won't, they won't take your property from you, right? So that's the important piece is to hold through, once the things get bad, and they might, I don't know. If they get bad this fall, those who can hold and weather the storm in five years will be laughing because real estate will recover long-term. I think there'll be a shift in the number of student rentals we have as things move online. Um, I don't know if we'll have school the same way we had it before. I think that we're going to see a trend towards people working from home more. So a lot less need for retail or even like office space, right? We're just not going to see as much of a need for that. People are going to double up and use their homes for that work from home piece more than they were ever before. Big companies are getting on board with saying, hey, you don't have to come back to work. You can work from home and we'll pay the same salary. People are like, what? I can save thousands on the cost of commuting and save hundreds of hours of my life now I have to commute in rush hour? Hallelujah, that's, I mean, that's a trend I think that should have caught on long ago. And same with, there's a lot of other agenda things that are being pushed down like digital currency and getting rid of cash. I'm not actually very much in favor of that for a number of other reasons, but, um, there actually, I, I, I'm, I go back and forth. There are some good reasons why we should switch to totally digital um, currency. I think it would really cut down on theft and laundering and all that bad stuff, but there are some also implications associated with that. So anyway, back to the next question. I think it was a good question about two bedroom versus three bedroom. Uh, next question we have, scrolling down here. Happy to be here, we're newbies. Well, welcome. Welcome to the stream. Welcome to my channel. If you're new to the channel, uh, hit the subscribe button and smash the like button. Welcome. I hope you can get some value from it. What is the process to add a bedroom to a house? How much space would you need? Hey, look at that. Anthony knew he had the, the question already set up before I even answered his, his uh, first question. How much space would you need in a two bedroom to make it work? Is there a type of house that works best? Is there a range I should expect to pay? So in my market, a two bedroom house, depending where it is, if it's in like East London, I would never pay more than $200,000 for it ever. Always less than that. Um, that's like a hard cutoff for me. And that's just like, unless it's really nice, like 10 foot ceilings or something crazy, uh, super bougie in some way, there may be an exception to that rule, but um, something to think about, I think through this time and this, this shifting trend, right? We're seeing, and I think by the way, this working from home trend that's catching on, I think we're gonna see probably double or triple the workforce that used to work from home is going to work from home. That's not everyone, but a good portion, right? More than there was before. And so now people need an office at home. And if they're a couple, they might need two offices because they both need to be on the phone at the same time. So now the demand for a four bedroom house might be higher than it ever has before. They needed a room for the guests. They needed a room for themselves. They needed, you know, and then two rooms to work from home. 
Now maybe we need bigger houses than we needed before because we don't need the retail office space, we need the work from home space. And by the way, the cost savings from not having to commute anymore, all that gas and the extra insurance and the maintenance and wear and tear on your car, all of that is gonna be passed on now we can spend on housing. So that might be a good thing if you're thinking of like a potential strategy that might work, you might buy property or have property that'll do really well in this economy. And you, this new economy or this new way of, of thinking, right? There are gonna be opportunities here too. And that's the important piece. Through every recession has been the most opportunity ever available. And so while I know I'm going to lose, I'm well aware that I'll probably lose $250,000. I'm prepared through this recession to lose $250,000 in lost value add and lost cash flow, et cetera, and so forth. I know what's going to happen, but I'm going to make two and a half million in the next five years through these opportunities, through thinking this through. So if you have opportunities right now, if you're able to find someone who wants to, you know, jump in and sell their house for 60 cents on the dollar, I think you're gonna be just fine to jump on that opportunity and you should. Um, people have been approaching me on Instagram like crazy at Mike Rosehart, that's my username, um, with JV opportunities where I'm the money partner. You know, maybe I'm doing some high level strategic mentoring or walking through high level planning, but they're executing on everything. And that's what I want, I don't wanna execute anymore. But someone who's a strong executor reaching out to me and they're finding deals at 70 cents on the dollar. Their uncle knew a guy who knew a guy who lost his job, who wants to sell his house now for fast cash to save, you know, from the to stave off the lenders from taking his house. And he's happy at 70 cents on the dollar because if he lets them foreclose, the fees associated with that foreclosure will eat him down to 65 cents on the dollar. So you're actually giving him a favor, giving him a quick close at, you know, whatever, 70 cents on the dollar. So look for those opportunities. They're now, there's a, a plethora of those types of opportunities that didn't exist before because the market was so hot, everyone just listed their property and it was sold. That's not the case. Stuff is gonna sit on the market for longer. We're going to have to negotiate back and forth. People trying to rent units out are gonna have to work harder to market better, to do more showings. You're gonna have to be better at your craft. This is the time where the good real estate investors thrive. The guys who know what they're doing, but the last five years, anyone could flip a property. You hold the property for three years, it depreciates and you make a big bunch of money. Even if you were terrible at flipping, that's not going to be the case. You're gonna have to be good at what you do. And so it's an opportunity. And I invite that opportunity. I think for all of us who are wanting to hone in on the craft and develop those skills, this is the opportunity. This is our era. This is our time. So cool. Next question. The next one on the list here says, about time for London real estate market to come down. What an insane rise from 2015 to now. Sam Marshall, totally agree. Um, I think there are, there are opportunities and there are gonna be more opportunities in the coming months. I've seen some overvaluation in pockets of London that just makes no sense. And I'm thankful that we're gonna see a bit of a correction in those areas, specifically in some of the student areas near Western where houses were selling for ridiculous amounts of money and they made no sense at all. Like I had an investor reach out to me and was like, Mike, um, they had bought like a big house near, near Western and they're like, it's like a seven bedroom or whatever, but like it's a legal five or something. And they were losing $400 a month. And they're like, I'm losing 400 a month. If it's fully rented, if it's not rented, I lose more. Um, but the appreciation is going to be so good. And I looked at the numbers and I'm like, geez, they ever paid for this house like 50 grand. So they're already underwater day one and they have no cash flow, negative cash flow. And some two realtors got together and convinced this investor who's out of town investor that this was a good deal. That needs to stop and that is going to stop now. Um, so I'm excited for that because when I saw those sales, some of those comps going through, I was like, what? Like who's buying this stuff? Um, so I don't know. Chickens are coming home to roost. And I don't know if I take pleasure in that or if like, I guess the sense of justice in me is like, that's, that's the right way. 
Uh, William says, Mike, more and more people are starting to lose their jobs. This is getting scary in a lot of things, especially in the US. Um, shares are priced for perfection. Any thoughts? William, you're right. The last 12 years, most analysts had rose-colored glasses on when they were evaluating real estate or stocks or businesses. And it felt like the last 10 years was so bullish. And the problem is, as humans, we look back and we're like, what just happened is likely to happen again. And we don't look far back. We look like five, 10 years back. That is why one of the reasons why I think we're going to be in a bit of a flat market. I think it's going to feel a lot like 1989. Go look at real estate prices in Toronto or in London, 1988, 1989, 1990, 1991, 92, 93. Toronto actually had losses year over year. Prices were going down and it was relatively flat. So that's possible that can happen again, by the way. And we had 18% interest rates at that time. So the value of the money was going up 18% and prices weren't even going up. That means we were having huge drops, right? In value of the property. So I think that's possible. But to answer your question, um, yes, I'm worried. Unemployment rates are high. A lot of people are collecting this stimulus. That's a bad sign. Um, I'm thinking that you were in a position where, yeah, geez, I, we might go into, it might set off a major recession. It's, it's possible. The catalysts are there. Um, the right ingredients are there. We don't necessarily have the, the right catalyst spark yet, but something else compounding into this could create a recession that would take a while for us to recover from. What we know for sure is that we're not going to be on the same growth trajectory we were on before. And you're right, William, it's a great point. Analysts wear rose-colored glasses and they price imperfection. I've been guilty of it too. I'll look at a property and be like, I can rent this out, it'll have, no, it'll have like 5% vacancy and 1% bad debt. And like in reality, the tenants might have 20% bad debt because they're in here in Ontario, you don't even have to pay rent. It could take 30% bad debt or a vacancy rate could be 15% in times of recession. Like now the rent prices might stay flat the same. Like I don't think rent prices are going to majorly drop. I think that the vacancy rate is going to go way up. It's going to be harder to fill those, those prices. So someone will discount their rent to get it, to get it rented and offer someone a good deal. That's one way to attract a good tenant. Um, but those, all those, you know, rent decreases or those, you know, job forecast changes or GDP changes, they're going to have negative implications, right? Where we expected a price target to be here and now it's going to be here because we factored in a best case scenario and best case scenarios don't always happen. So, um, someone, if they have economic data, feel free to jump in. I've seen articles. I don't have anything off the top of my brain right now, but I've seen some articles that looked really scary from a GDP perspective. I saw some, we're just not growing right now, right? Like we're actually contracting and I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to have a bounce back, but I don't know. Um, my dog is chasing a squirrel right now and apologies for him running between the rooms. There's like, there's a big living room then we have a playroom and a TV room and then we have the office and like another bedroom. So he runs back and forth to all the windows watching our backyard. Um, so apologies for that one. Next question on the list. Um, do, 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 like button smashed. Appreciate that guys. Appreciate all your, uh, your support. Another info packet stream. Better not miss it. There you go. Another info packed stream. If you're watching the replay, thank you for watching. And I have been trying to drop some knowledge bombs. 38 minutes of me just like, spewing and it's because I got myself focused before this stream. Usually I just get on here and like my kids are screaming and I get on and I, I stream, but I sat for like five minutes and laid in my bed, just closed my eyes and was like, what does the world want to talk about right now? Mike Rose Art Show. And I was like, geez, um, I think we need to talk about the state of the union with regards to like real estate. What are we doing here? And what's the market outlook? So that was today's stream. We can dive deeper on this next time. Appreciate all that. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
Uh, Jason, thank you as well. Hi, Mike. As a beginner, I'm wondering what you recommend in terms of understanding how to value a property and get a sense of what is a good deal versus a waste of money. So, good questions. Um, for me, there's there's a few key metrics. One is location, and that's always been a priority no matter what I'm buying. Even if I'm buying in a bad area of town, I want to make sure it's near good transit. It's not right on a major street where I'll get like a lot of theft or vandalism. I want to have a property that's that meets certain location metrics. That's the first thing. The second thing is cash flow. And it's almost as important as the first thing. And without, you know, it's like you can't have a fire without oxygen, right? You can't have, a, you shouldn't buy real estate without cash flow. I think cash flow is the oxygen that you need. It's just now we need to have more cash flow. Where people thought 50 or 100 bucks a door was okay, it's not okay. You need four or $500 a door to be okay. Then, you know, like I got triplexes, I have a triplex that, I'm looking at closing that if I rent two of the units out, I break even. And so the third unit is pure profit. So if I have a 33% vacancy or 33% of bad debt, I'm still neutral. I'm not even underwater yet. That's a good buy. Um, a not a good buy is like I have this triplex that's like 500 grand that would be, you know, cash flow negative with, you know, even one month of vacancy or two months of vacancy. That's not, you know, that's not a good buy. So when you're looking at things, that's an important one to consider. The third thing is a lot of people discount or don't, don't factor in CapEx or um, capital expenditure. So like the roof, the furnace, um, you know, the foundation or like just stuff you're gonna do that's not gonna add value to the property at all, but that's gonna cost you. Like your furnace is gonna cost you five grand. Can you budget that in? Are you budgeting in 200 bucks a month for the fact that in two years your furnace is gonna break? Build that in, right? That's important. So those are things you need to be factoring in when you're looking at property. There's a million other little small factors that, that come to mind. Like for me, a big one right now is any property that has tenants in it that I have, I, I vet the tenants. And if I can't, if they don't pass my standards, I don't want the property. Because evicting a tenant right now is nearly impossible. It's getting as bad here in Ontario as California, um, where a tenant has more rights to a property than you do. If they don't pay rent, it's their property and you can't even evict them. Um, it's getting scary here in Ontario and in lots of pockets where the tenant groups are rising up and, and they have, with the, the landlord tenant board, um, you know, being shut down, there's no recourse. There, there's literally, um, there's nothing we can do as far as, yeah, it's just, it's very scary. Very, very scary. And so you need to apply those discount rates into your, into your model. And uh, just remember that like, if you have a property that you can't sell right now and it is cash flow neutral, that it's maybe you can refinance and it's cash flow neutral and you're just going to hold on to it for tax reasons or whatever else. Um, just remember that the money is so cheap right now that it, it'll be okay. You can hold, you can hold long-term and you'll probably be okay. Your return on asset should cover your cost of debt through appreciation long-term. Um, so I don't know what we're going to see. It, it's scary times, obviously. Um, we need to be factoring in those discounts into anything new we buy. And if we can sell the properties that don't make sense, that don't pass our metrics, now's the time to do it. Cash out get liquidity, get cash. I'm personally trying to raise a ton of cash, seven figures um, into a cash or cash equivalent, something that, you know, will hold this value better than cash, but being ready to go. Um, that's important, I think, during this time is, is get available credit, get available access to liquidity, whether it's credit or whether it's your own cash or other people's cash, having access to that during this time will set you up very well to weather the recession and will set you up well to capitalize on opportunities. So there's an idea for you. Next question. Let's do some rapid fire Q and A because I got this is a huge list of questions I gotta I gotta get through here. Jeez, you guys are engaged and I appreciate that so much. 
Related to trends to lag the macroeconomic environment, do you see some fire deals popping up? So Trevor, great question. Um, for a macro, there's macro and microeconomic um, pieces at play that are, I think, both bearish. There, there's, I guess there's bull and bearish factors at play, but um, really the only bullish one I can think of right now is, is interest rates. But um, I haven't really spent time thinking about it. Do I see some good deals popping up? Yes and no. Like in Orlando, Florida, where I'm looking to spend you know, some of my time in the winters, um, there, I think there's going to be a, a ton of opportunity in that market. We're already seeing foreclosures pop up. The, the thing is in this market, in, in that market in Orlando, most of the real estate is owned by people from like the UK or Canada, people that aren't even from the United States. Like a lot of international ownership. They just own like a vacation property and they visit Disney or they rent it out year round. Airbnb is shut down. They're losing money. What are they going to do? They're just going to walk away. It doesn't affect their credit score. If they borrowed in the US, it often doesn't affect their Canadian or they borrowed in a corp in the US. It has no impact on their credit score at all. And if their property, we're seeing, I've been watching the prices, there's been tons of price reductions there because people are trying to move inventory. And we're seeing in that market specifically, I'm just giving one example because I happen to study that US market right now. And it's possible that once the chain reaction starts and people start getting underwater, as soon as your equity is gone, let's say you bought a $200,000 house and you put $40,000 down payment down on it and you're from the UK and you're using it as a vacation property, whatever, you're like, geez, um, it's not worth 160. I have no equity in the property. You walk away, you foreclose. That's it. There's no ramification. You're not even a US citizen. So you'd walk away. Now that property's stuck in the market and it was worth 160. Now there's a bunch of those popping up. All of a sudden they're worth 140, 130, 120. There's no, no one coming in to buy them. I'm gonna be coming in to buy them. Rosart's gonna be knocking on the door. Um, so I'm excited for those opportunities. Um, but that sort of thing is gonna happen in that market because so much of the market around the uh, Davenport and like Kissimmee and all around like the Disney area, it's all zoned short-term rental. That's empty right now and no one's in any of those houses. The governor, he's being sued or whatever, but he shut down short-term rentals. And anything less than a seven month rental is illegal. So you can't rent a unit out. Came to a six month rental, right? So um, yeah, something to think about. I, I'm obviously monitoring the market. If something really good pops up, we saw an auction property that was like 100,000 on our market. Maybe no one actually offer, offers on it and we get it. So I'm still you know, buying even though I think it might be downward ticking. Um, I lost what the question was now. I can't even remember what the question was, but um, do I see there's fire deals? Yes. In certain markets, yes. In you know the worst areas of town in London, I think there'll be deals. Um, the good areas of town that are highly coveted and demanded, like I live in an area in, in West London that's like when houses pop up, they're gone like that. Um, on, on my street specifically, they sell like in like 48 hours. So what'll end up happening is probably they'll sell in like, they'll still sell quickly in this, where, they, where there's, Demand for a really good location and really good property, that stuff will still move, I think. Just maybe a little bit lower price point, but maybe a little bit, take a little bit longer to sell than what I did before. Uh, but I don't see the same dropping because there isn't the same demographics here as there is in, say, Orlando, Florida. So certain markets are more predisposed to, to issues and carnage. I, I do think, though, that near the student areas, near like London, in London, near Western and Fanshawe, if we don't get the schools back in September, there is going to be devastation in those areas. A lot of landlords sitting vacant and that's going to smell like opportunity because once when you're in a recession, you've lost your job and you're from Toronto, let's say, and you own a property in London, an investment property from your kids went to school and you still hold it now because whatever. Now you've been losing money now for four or five months. We're talking about December. You've been putting in three grand a month to cover this. Your savings are gone. You're like, geez, I can't carry this property. 
and you've only lost like 10 or 15 grand, but you might sell at a $50,000 discount to stop the bleeding. And it's painful each month when you're covering all these bills and nothing's coming in. People make irrational, emotional choices. And that's what you wanna capitalize on in times of recession if you're looking for an opportunity, is be the guy that's no one else, like, like no one else. When everyone else is selling, you should be buying. When everyone else is buying, you should probably be selling. And that's why, you know, in 2017, when everyone was buying, I was selling my properties. In 2018, I sold properties. 2019, I sold properties. I just sold two more in 2020. I am buying at the same time, by the way. But, you know, when there's a hungry buyer out there willing to pay top dollar, I'm always, like, I, I'll hold, I treat my properties like stocks. I don't get emotional in that if there's a good exit opportunity, I'll take it. I'm very logical when it comes to that. Um, I'm emotional in the sense that I love to buy and, like, I get wrapped up in the game of real estate and I like that a lot. Um, but you, you can't let you know, emotions get in the way of you refinancing or selling your house. Now's the time potentially to do that or your rental property that maybe doesn't cash flow and buy something else that does cash flow. Next question, guys. Okay, next one here. In Australia, teenagers are wealthier than ever because of the stimulus package. Yeah, there's a lot of money going in the hands of people who don't deserve it who don't need the money at all and they're just blowing it on like air jordans and like a new apple i watch that's so dumb um the chickens will come home to roost and um a lot of tenants are wasting their money when they should be paying their rent and they're buying dumb stuff they don't need and the chickens are going to come home to roost or the roosters are going to come home to roost what are your thoughts on the stock market still going up in value currently um personally i think we're going to see a, another dip so i'm not buying much right now in terms of like the stocks. I think they're most companies I'm seeing are overvalued. Um, I felt better about them before we had the big recovery. I think there was a buying opportunity there. And I said that, um, I now think they're overvalued based on the economic indicators we have, things are trading at too high of a price to earnings ratio. So I think people are pricing in too much recovery. What is the best way to obtain vacant possession of a property? What is the best way to negotiate this into a deal? If not possible, negotiate into a deal, assuming a renovation is needed. So you can evict for renovation. That's one way. I think it's called an N13. You can pay them one month's rent and evict them, evict them and renovate the property. They have the right to move back in, but only if the property is the same. So if you add a basement unit, if you add bedrooms and bathrooms, if not the same unit that it was before, and they don't have the right to move back in at the same rent. So just reno evict. That's one way. Uh, move a family member in is another way. Um, that's a, a legal way within your power to do. The other thing is just ask a tenant to leave or offer them some money. In most cases, tenants and landlords want to work together. I don't know why we feel like tenant, like this whole COVID thing has created this like up in arms, you know, tenants are battling landlords and like we're all you know, staying on our sides. Why don't we work together? Tenants don't want to screw landlords and landlords don't want to screw tenants. We want the tenants to be happy. We provide them a product. We just want to be paid a fair market for that product. And tenants want a nice house to live in. They want to buy the consume. They want to consume and buy our product and they want to pay their rent. I, I truly do believe that. Um, so, you know, think of that through this time and, and go and meet with tenants and say, hey, look, I'll help you find a new place. I'll even set it up for you. I'll, I'll you know, whatever. And I'll pay your couple, first couple months of rent. Most tenants, if they're going through a hard time right now, I'll be like, geez, I'll take $5,000. That's my rent for the next few months. And they'll leave willingly. They'll sign an N11 or an N9 and, and vacate the unit willingly. So that's the way you get vacant possession, I would say. There are, yeah, I would say that's, that's really the best way um, is to work with them. It's better than the other ways. And maybe they just want to leave willingly. You could talk to them and say, hey, would you be willing to leave? And often tenants are, sometimes they're unhappy in the place they're at and, and they don't want to be a bug. So they're like, oh, I'll move on. I'll find a new place. 
You give them adequate time and they'll be happy. Next question here. Do you see Western going online in the fall? I don't know, Jason. I'm, I'm really concerned though um, for my own personal student rentals and just like the overall London economy in general. If we do switch to online college and university, London is going to take a big hit. We are a hardcore student town. I do believe that the learning experience isn't as good online and there's a lot of people who can't learn online or don't have the motivation if someone isn't walking behind them in the same way. Um, I think there's a lot of value in, at least for my Ivy education, in like networking, um, meeting people. That's the important piece. And like you don't do that, you know, going to a, an online lecture and then taking the test. The piece of paper you're getting from the university isn't all that valuable, to be honest. Like why not just go learn online for free? Um, why would you have to take it from the call, like if we go online, then I think universities might, you know, not be able to charge what they charged before. Um, I did that question. I did that question. U.S. House is kicking around a bill to extend su super unemployment benefits for the rest of the year. Why would people even bother going back to work? Um, government is crazy with these perverse incentives. I, I don't disagree with you, Trevor. I think that um, I think that some of the COVID stimulus packages are incentivizing people not to work. They're boosting unemployment numbers to all-time highs. Um, it's an election year, I believe, isn't it, in the US? So, geez, I think they'll have to get the economic numbers back up, wouldn't they? Or, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do to, to hopefully spin this into a positive light, but... Um, Jeez, yeah, it's, it's obviously bad. It's not right. I think that that type of you know, government policy isn't good for the economy overall. It really just isn't. Um, someone has to pay for all of that stimulus, right? And we're going to have to pay for it. So, yeah. How common is it for a tenant to ask to recoup a property after a two or three month renovation at a similar rent? Would like to avoid cash for keys. Um, It's not very common if you change the unit substantially. When looking for a house hack, how would you analyze a deal? Is it a good deal if you break even, but don't put aside money for vacancy and management? Um, yeah, house hack's totally different. House hack is like you trying to get your living expenses under control. And so I think it's a great idea to find a property that like, if you, if you break even, that's a win. Um, if you live in and you have like a $1,400 mortgage and your basement, um, you know, it's 1400 bucks a month and it covers your mortgage. And then maybe you made them pay plus utilities. So they covered their own utilities and all you had to pay was your property taxes to live there. Depending on the area and the location, that's a good house hack. Now, if you wanted to go in a rougher area of town, you could probably find a property with a better cap rate or live in a triplex or something. If you're willing to compromise and have more units, you could live and be net positive cash flow or have roommates or something. Then you can have even more cash flow. Depends how much, like how much of your house you want to occupy and what kind of standard of living you want, what kind of house you want to live in. So the house hacking piece is tough because yeah, like you could live in a mansion and house hack with a basement apartment that covers half the mortgage. And that could be a win because you're living in the mansion you love, or you could be living, you know, in, in East London and, um, you know, have like a triplex and, and be living cash flow positive. But if that's okay for you, and you're okay with a small unit for yourself. That's a win too. So it's up to your personal preferences. 36 hands. Uh, I hypothesize you need a haircut. <laughs> True. Uh, you drink milk out of a bag, yeah. 
drink milk out of a glass. There you go, guys. We pour it from the bag into the glass. I'll go get a bag of milk and just show you guys. Like, hang on, one sec. I'll be right back. Hold tight. So you drink milk in Canada, right here, like this. Comes in a bag, we have four bags inside of a giant, bigger bag. We cut the bags, four liters, actually a gallon, I think. Um, and then you, you pop it in, slides inside the bag, you pour it into a glass and you drink it. But our milk comes in bags. It's called the waterfall technique, right there. Got my, got my Canadian milk pitcher and my bag of milk. Is everyone happy they voted for liberals now? I didn't vote for liberals, so um, <laughs> am I happy? No. Next, um, almond milk. Almond milk comes in a, I actually have almond milk in my fridge too. It comes in a container, actually. It doesn't come in a bag. Oat milk, there you go. I don't even know what oat milk is. I never even drank that before. We will be a trillion dollars in debt as a country before the end of the year, recession or depression. Um, the problem is permanent vacation, you know, long-term who pays for that debt, right? And so that's like, right now we're just keep passing the buck and passing the buck and passing the buck. Um, but it is a serious problem. Someone's gonna have to pay the debt. And so um, hopefully I don't live in the country when they raise tax rates to pay for that. Hopefully I'm in uh, you know Costa Rica or something by then or on a private island. UK government just opened the housing market with virtual viewings only. Canada sure to follow. Yeah, I mean, our market's already been, we've been open the whole time with um, with virtual viewings. But um, again, it's not the same to virtually see a property than it is to sit with a realtor and walk through a property in person and invest that extra time. You're not investing the same amount of time from your phone. So you're less likely to follow through on the transaction, I think. So we'll just see a lot less volume. I had a question from last week. You mentioned you get private loans. I think you should be in first name position. How much does it cost to foreclose on a property if you're the private lender? D how to, it costs nothing. Um, in fact, you usually make money because you bake in your private lending contract. Your lawyer will, will write in um, penalties for them first, like defaulting to you. You get huge um, late payment penalties that eventually become like default penalties. And those penalties cover all the costs to go through the foreclosure process. So it's actually a best case scenario typically when that happens. If you're like a realtor, like I am, that I could sell the property and I know the property well um, that I'm investing in, then I can turn that property around and make a huge profit because I got all these huge fees tacked on. When I take the property over, I get maybe 20, 30,000 in fees because they walked away. That covers all my downside and my cost of closing. Love your macro perspective here, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, Matt Andrew. Appreciate that. They're not allowing evictions until 2021 in Canada. No, the reality is that the applications at the board were already three, four months behind. And now as a result of this, the wait list is so big, we're gonna see anyone not paying rent from March might get a hearing date in November, December, which would get a verdict by like February, which then you have to take the sheriff, 10 business days later, et cetera, so forth. You're looking at roughly, um, yeah, about a year to get an eviction here in that. And that's if they literally just stop paying rent and are like, screw you, um, you know, I'm destroying your property. That's the worst case tenant. The good tenants, they go in you know, in the fall and say, hey, I just had a really hard time. I wanna make a payment plan. And they start making a payment plan and they just don't even honor the payment plan. They just they agree to a payment plan in court. Then you gotta take them to court again. It takes another six months to get back into court again. They could drag it out two years if they want to, paying no rent and just saying they're gonna make a payment plan. So in a worst case scenario, yeah, it's messed up. Um, be careful of that. 
You may not have had to foreclose or take a property as a private lender, but if you know the cost, this is why my above question asking. Uh, I've never had to actually foreclose on a property. I've always um, been repaid on any of my loans that I've done. But again, the more you do it, the more likely you are to run into that type of situation and bake those into your um, lending contract. So if they agree to sign, then they're giving you their equity in the property so that you can go and sell it and get your money back plus interest. Payments are higher when you refinance. Don't invest for more cash flow to cover that risk rise of mortgage. So yeah, I mean, if your property can't cash flow after it refinances, you shouldn't own the property. That's it. Um, I'm like, you pull out the equity. How do you carry the debt? Um, well, you carry the debt with the property. The property can't cash flow when you pull out the debt. You're probably in the wrong type of property. Speaking of vacancy, thoughts on the huge surge in vacancy once the tribunal opens up and also what are thoughts on people's position once a six-month mortgage deferral catches up to them? Yeah, that's another factor I think that speaks to government policy a little bit. Um, but the mortgage deferrals that they kind of push down the bank's throats and kind of push them to offer. Um, yeah, that's a government policy that's gonna, it was actually helping, you know, the people who actually need it. But yeah, the chickens are gonna come home to roost. The way I understand it is that deferral, um, it's tacked onto the mortgage and amortized. So it doesn't actually affect your payments that much. And it's not like you have to pay six months of it, six months from now. Like it's just tacked onto your mortgage to give you a bigger loan. They're basically loaning you that six months of, of payment, de deferral and amortizing it. Uh, now everyone gets to work at home, that's true. It may be premature, but I heard some public colleagues in California are going to be online in the fall. Oh, colleges, sorry. Uh, in the fall of 2020, to your point of student rentals. Yeah, something to be careful of. Um, make sure that your student rentals can pivot as non-student rentals. And most of mine are likely duplex, so they can. And my rents are not that much different renting to a professional versus a student. So if you don't have that, sell. Hey guys, good to see you on Tommy. Twitter telling their staff to work from home permanently. Yeah, I heard that Twitter was on board with that. Uh, Facebook, a bunch of other companies have jumped on board with that same sentiment. What are your thoughts on investing in real estate in Canada from non-residents? From the UK, I see property lower in the likes of Calgary now. Chris, yeah, I think that there's definitely gonna be opportunities in certain segments of Canada like um, Calgary, as an example. Yeah, their oil is destroyed. It's almost costing more per barrel to extract the oil. He, My dog literally just came in, opened the door, and then left. He didn't even come into the window. He just came in to open the door up, so I would hear him bark. What a dog. What a dog. Um, he's a little bugger, actually, he is, if I'm honest. He wants to be able to run between the windows with no door stopping him so he can see the squirrels in our backyard running through the trees. Uh, can you explain how you write off the rental income with CCA? What price do you use? In terms okay, so CCA is a long, complicated talk. I could do a whole video on, but the idea is basically you depreciate the items um, at, based on the asset class. So it depends on the asset class. Um, it depends on a lot of factors. All My family's home. Hang on. I close this door. Jeremy Dog's gonna come back in here again, yeah, I know he is. But, do the best we can, that's what we got. Okay, so your question about CCA, basically at a high level, um, let me scroll up and see if I can find the question again. We're talking about CCA. Um, basically, you can't create a loss using CCA, but the idea is that it's capital cost, um, uh, capital cost allowance, I think is the CCA term. Basically, you, you you put your renovation categories in there and then you depreciate them based on the class. So if it's furniture, it depreciates at a faster rate than if it's the building itself you're depreciating. You can't depreciate land. So the portion of your building is land. Um, 
that sucks, you can only depreciate the building portion. You, if you depreciate and you plan to sell your property in the next couple of years, you probably shouldn't um, do that because there's the depreciation is going to have to be recaptured on sale against your capital gains. So you could do it if you want. I often don't do a lot of depreciating. Um, that's, I guess I'm just gonna stop it there because my family's almost home and I gotta wrap this up. Do you have a checklist in your head when evaluating any property? Yes, I do. I kind of covered that in the other question. Um, how are you and the family doing? We're doing well, we're healthy, all is good. Um, Mr. Fury Wednesday classes. Anyway, good to see you on. Um, anyway, have you seen any good opportunities now in the US, specifically in New York and New Jersey? Gail, I haven't, I don't follow in New York, New Jersey. I haven't seen a whole lot. I have a friend who sort of follows a little bit and I hear there's some opportunities out there. I think there's gonna be opportunities everywhere amidst COVID. Maybe now isn't quite the right time to buy. It could be worse. And I always, I, I kind of feel like a friend of mine said this to me the, the other day and he's like, um, you know, would you rather have a $30,000 loss or have prices correct, you know, and be $10,000 higher and you, you have to pay $10,000 more for a property. I'd rather pay $10,000 more for a property than have a $30,000 loss. So the chance of like, it, losses are more painful. So losing money hurts a lot more than having to overpay for a property. Um, so that's the way it is. This is a great episode, Mike, making lots of good predictions. Thank you, Vlad, appreciate the comments. As of May 1st, we were in a recession. Interesting, I'd like to see the data on that. I believe you. They should have done the 75% employee top up before CERB. Lots of people are refusing to go back to work because of CERB payments keeping unemployment numbers up. This is a fact and it is true. Um, maybe once CERB ends, unemployment will start to fix itself. Mike just thought I have a condo in high demand. If I sell, I will have 400k cash. I was thinking of renting in London for a bit and waiting for the bounce to pounce on a deal. Your thoughts? I think it's a great idea. You should probably do that. Uh, three to five percent capex. That's one metric you could use. Uh, I've seen Goldman saying 25% unemployment in the U.S. from 15% now. Uh, I've seen GDP in the U.S. down 10 to 12% this quarter. Geez, um, yeah, I've seen similar stats, similar economic data, and it's scary. Hopefully there's a recovery, and if there isn't, we're going into a major, major recession. Uh, any book recommendations? Uh, I've done that on previous streams. I don't have any right now to read. Um, I've just been like looking at data and statistics. So like go and look at some of the statistics, go and read some articles, do some research of your own. Um, it's a great way to find out what's going on in the world. Hello, Sony. Most say it picks up sometime in Q3. Yeah, I mean, it might pick up, but to the same levels it was at before, probably not. The sharing economy may take a big hit until some type of standard is in place for sharing economy. Some people who are not risk averse will still participate in the sharing economy, but it may take a hit. Yeah, the sharing economy is gonna be taking a hit in the big time. That talks about like reselling on, you know, uh, Facebook and Craigslist and Kijiji and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a huge piece of the economy and that's, you know, slowed down a lot. People are now just doing like digital transfers or they're um, leaving things for a drop off and a pickup. There's always a time to buy, that's a fact, Michael Chung. Next comment, I'm thinking the vacation rental properties may be in high demand this summer due to people confined to their Toronto condos all spring and their unwillingness to get on a plane. Um, potentially, depending on where you're, where you're buying the vacation rental property, like if no one wants to get on a plane, then a vacation rental property in Orlando is no use. Thoughts on utilizing the infinite banking concept, private banking to finance properties. Yeah, Liam, like just be careful. Uh, going into a recession, all I'm gonna say is there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with you know, levering up and borrowing a ton of money, but um, just being careful that we follow the we follow the uh, tighter benchmarks or metrics. I really gotta go. My kids want to see me. I haven't seen them all day. Uh, no stock recommendations for today. How do you screen for tenants? I've done a whole video just on that, um, but screen carefully. Mike, schools are going online. McGill, UBC, and Ottawa both confirmed online classes. Well, there's always been online classes, but just are they going full online? I don't know. 
Um, hey Mike, buying a small cash line business in Ontario typically, how levered can you be and what interest rate, assuming not seller financed? Um, it depends. Like if the business is valued at more than you're buying it for, you could buy it for zero down. I've seen people bought, borrow 80% loan to value, which was more than they bought the business for. So, and you could borrow like prime plus one, depending on how good the business is. If it's a good, strong cash flowing business, the bank, they're all over cash flowing businesses. So, um, milk bags like Asian countries. Yeah, message from Western president. I saw that email too. Um, is it a good idea to do 5% down first home buyer plan? Uh, yes and no. I would say if you can get the money for 20% down, do that. Um, if you can borrow the money privately for the difference between five and 15 from a line of credit or something, do that. If you have no other option and you have to get into a deal and it's an amazing deal, do the 5% down because they will take your 5% and they will use it for the private mortgage fees like CMHC charges fees that are equivalent. They wrap it into your mortgage, but they're equivalent to like 4% of your 5% down payment. So you're basically giving them 4% of the house value, which if it's a $500,000 house, it's like 20 grand in fees to have the right to put 5% down, which is quickly gone because when you refinance, you refinance 80% loan to value. With mortgage pay down and appreciation, you quickly get to the 80% loan to value um, anyhow. So yeah, uh, so I don't think it's a good idea if you can avoid it, but it could, be, could make sense for your situation. Does it make sense to defer your mortgage if you're planning to buy more properties soon? No, they put a tick on your credit report. They will put a tick at that bank. You will not get a mortgage if you defer it. It will make it very, very hard to get a mortgage if you defer it. It showed that you didn't have the strength to carry yourself through this. So I've applied for zero mortgage deferrals, none, because I want to appear strong to the bank. So I'm ready to borrow when the time comes. I want them to know that I didn't take any mortgage deferral. So I'm ready to get mortgages. And if you want to buy more properties, you should do the same and not take it. Thanks for the doggy comment. Thanks for the stream. Thanks everyone, appreciate y'all so much. Appreciate y'all tuning in and for the 39 likes, let's get some more, let's get 100 likes in the replay. And if you enjoyed this content, jump in the comments and say, hey, Mike, I appreciate this content um, after the stream. It really does mean a lot to me. Um, yeah, that's the stream for today. As you guys know, the secret to unlocking a wealth through you and screw off. I hate when people call me on a midstream. Um, sorry about that. Am I still live? People still see me? People call me, it, it pauses the stream. Um, can't get answer that question for you. I just uh, wrapped up the stream, but the secret to unlocking it through you is three levers. And this is good now in, uh, it's, it's good now in, co actually more value now in COVID than it was before. Spend less, earn more, and maximize your returns. Have a good Wednesday, everyone. And uh, if you're ever in Canada, take a drink of uh, milk from a bag. Ah, waterfall, it's COVID. You don't wanna, don't wanna share those germs.